the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As you probably have read, the Philippines have been in the news of late, largely connected to stories about either the government or about issues related to the sex trafficking and um, slave trade. And as shocking as those stories are, it really only uncovers part of the depth of the problems um, that are being faced by some people living in the Philippine Islands. And in particular, as we're discovering from Dan Johansson, the founder of Bajau Bridge Ministries, uh, on the web at badjaobridge.org, that there are some aspects of Philippine society that heretofore, and logically so, had been fishermen. That's their entire existence. But there's been so much overfishing, there has been a lack of management, that suddenly now they're finding themselves in a situation where their principal means of life support has been cut off. And if there's no support coming from official organisms, then you're left to fend for yourself. And, Dan, I guess at the end of the day, that's what really startled you at looking at this problem because left to fend for themselves with no resources... Uh, they don't have a Social Security Administration that says, well, if you're elderly, we're going to give you money to live on. There's no relief agencies necessarily that come in and sweep in and set up a tent and say, don't worry about it. We're going to build houses. We'll provide education. It just doesn't exist. And so they're literally suffering on their own. You've come in as an outsider, though I should mention that your, your wife is from the Philippines. So there's a connection that you have there. And mm-hmm. recognizing this need... You walked away saying, instead of saying, gee, poor people, I'll pray for them, you walked away saying, poor people, and I'm going to do something for them. That's right. Uh, we, we, uh, we started small. We have uh, an office here in our church, First Presbyterian Church of Hayward, giving us a free office. I'm a self-supported missionary, uh, have been for 20 years now, and so... Any money that we were able to raise uh, as we were starting this organization was just going to go help these people. And uh, our model has has been that ever since. So that our admin and our overhead here in the U.S. is is literally hundreds of dollars. Uh, and we have a budget, uh, you know, with helping over 200 kids. Um, and this has really grown because not only are you engaged in providing meals, you're providing a medical component you're providing clothing where need be, and, and most critical, and that is providing education. You provide tutoring services. This is pretty comprehensive in terms of the multiplicity of areas of felt need that you're ministering to, not least of which is the spiritual component. Absolutely. Um, we, we do know that uh, these kids need to know the Lord, need to be growing in their relationship with God, and we come alongside the Bajau Church that's already out over the water. They they actually worship uh, in, on a stilt church over the water. It's, it's a sight to see. 
Um, and we, yeah, we needed to deliver the whole ball of wax. We, we couldn't come in halfway and just see the type of progress that we wanted to see happen. And so uh, we realized that, for example, that eye infection that I mentioned earlier, traditionally, before we were on the ground, uh, a child coming down with uh, pink eye or conjunctivitis would be sent home and would be disallowed from returning to school until the infection was gone. Well, how long does that take if you don't have antibiotics? It takes months. And after months, uh, a girl would just maybe decide not to go back. And so for about $3 of antibiotics, we could, we could prevent that from happening. It's not just one thing that is preventing these uh, communities from thriving. It's a multitude of challenges. And we're not there to save them from everything. We can't do that. But what we can do is, uh, like I said, for, for $20 a month, we do deliver the basics for every child um, to get into school. We get them through elementary school, high school, and if they want to go to college, uh, we're going to find a way to pay for that as well. And I should mention that this is not the, the glamorous side of missions work and relief work. You're working in a challenging part of the world. You're working in a part of the world that gets very little headline coverage. You can hear about famines taking place in Africa. They make the 6 o'clock news. The suffering of the Vajau people in the Philippine Islands, nobody ever hears about. No. And so it's a neglected people group, but you're doing something to change all of that. And if folks here in the Bay Area say, wow, you know, I, I, I like what I'm hearing, and I'm thrilled to see that there's this sense of a holistic approach to sharing the gospel and to equipping the church in Bajau to be able to care for its own, giving it the resources and the educational tools necessary so that eventually it can become more self-sustaining. I like that idea. Folks want to get involved in child sponsorship. It's as little as $20 a month. And they can get more information by going to your website? That's right. And we have, I just counted, 54 kids that are on our website waiting to be uh, sponsored. These kids uh, are all showing signs that they, they would just love to learn. They would love to be in school. And in many cases, we've, we're using some of our reserve fund to, to go ahead and start that process. But that's not sustainable. We really need partners to come alongside these kids. Uh, you'll get to know your kid, your child. Um, we set up a correspondence program. It's very much like our our loved uh, sp child sponsorship programs, uh, such as World Vision and Compassion International. Um, we're we're just focused on sea dwellers that really are forgotten, and really no other aid organization is operating. In. We are called as the church to bring the gospel to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I would suppose in the books of many, this would qualify as part of the uttermost parts of the earth. And particularly if you have a burden in seeing the church here in the Bay Area reaching across to help the church all the way in the Philippines in that, in that organic sense of being actively involved in touching felt needs and then using that as a gateway, as an open door to then reach out and address spiritual needs as well. If you're really moved by that, then I want to encourage you to get more information about this ministry and to prayerfully consider becoming a child sponsor. You can get information again on the web at badjowbridge.org. That's B-A-D 
J-A-O, badjowbridge.org. And you're going to be here over the course of the next couple of days. Uh, Dan, you've also got, I should mention, a uh, booth there in the exhibit hall so people can come by, meet you, get more information. Are you going to be sharing any workshops too? Uh, no, I'm not. But we, in our booth, we, we're doing something unique. Uh, we have brought over pearl necklace products that the tribe has made. This is an alternative livelihood that they are working on. We're, again, coming alongside them and trying to help them through that. A, a single Buying a single pearl necklace allows a family to eat for an entire week. Uh, so please come on by. You can check out our booth. We have uh, all kinds of... Um, pearl products from earrings to necklaces and bracelets. All right, good stuff. Well, again, we invite you to drop by the booth in the exhibit hall for badalbridge.org or, again, check them out on the web and perfectly consider becoming a child sponsor. B-A-D-J-A-O bridge.org. That's badjowbridge.org. Dan Johansson, we appreciate you dropping by and sharing tonight. I appreciate the time. All right. We're here at 6.15. Let's get a look at traffic, shall we? And the latest over at the KFAX Traffic Center as we say good evening to Mr. Michael Bennett. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you, sir. We are back and uh, continuing on our number two here in our live coverage of the Bass Church Workers Convention getting underway just about uh, 40 minutes from now. It'll be uh, tonight with the general session kicking off at 7 p.m. And uh, as you heard in our conversation on the program yesterday with Pastor Renee Scheffler, from Twin Lakes Church in Aptos. Boy, you're going to be in for a real treat. He is a dynamic communicator and is going to get down into the core of the arena of of church work. And this is true, I think, whether you're involved in, in lay ministry or professionally, vocationally as a pastor, that sometimes we get so much involved in the mechanism of doing and ministering and got to be at this conference and then we're going to be here and then we've got this going on and church on Sunday and a special event, that so much of that doing and working, the message of grace and our ability to rest in God's grace kind of gets lost. He's going to talk about that coming up tonight in that first general session. That'll be at 7 p.m. at Redwood Chapel, located at 19300 Redwood Road in Castro Valley. Complete details, and you can also um, register online by going to BassConvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. The next voice, certainly no stranger to KFAX microphones. He is Pastor Steve Deal from Forgiveness Ministries. And just when you think... You've learned or heard or read <laughs> everything to know about forgiveness. Pastor Steve comes along with a little <laughs> deeper insight. And, and I guess, essentially, let, let's, be, let's be fully uh, full disclosure here. This is not something new, but this is something that the church has not quite understood fully. Uh, I agree. I think the church for 2,000 years has wrestled with it. The early church wrestled with the meaning of the cross and uh, how God worked forgiveness out and its limitations. And uh, all, even when we read uh, scripture today, one of the things uh, about 18 years ago when I was starting to study forgiveness uh, specifically, I noticed uh, something very confusing. About half the verses in the Bible on forgiveness are conditional and the other half are unconditional. And I could not understand how anything could be both unconditional and conditional at the same time. 
until God pointed out that when he talks about forgiving sins, sometimes he's talking about forgiving the penalty, which he does unconditionally because Jesus paid for it. Other times he's talking about forgiving the consequences of sins, which he does when the guilty person repents or when we as victims forgive the person who sinned against us. Then he can change the consequences. And he calls changing consequences forgiving the consequences. What's interesting about this is I think a lot of us um, at a oftentimes a very superficial level get the concept of forgiveness. We hear about sin, salvation, sanctification, separation of God because of Adamic sin, of the sin that I have committed, and yet God has provided through his Son a means by which we might be saved and therefore forgiven of the debt that we should have paid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going to the courthouse and having the judge say, well, yes, the officer did catch you speeding. Yes, you were going over the limit, but because it's your first infraction, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive the penalty. We walk out of the courthouse feeling victorious. We don't have to spend any time at, uh, at, at driving school again. We don't have to write a big check to pay the penalty. And we breathe this huge sigh of relief. And so oftentimes I think we as Christians kind of think, well, yeah, that's that's kind of what forgiveness is all about. And so I, I do it because I get some great benefits from it. And then there's that one line in the Lord's Prayer that kind of obligates me that I should forgive others because I have been forgiven. So, okay, I'll, I'll do that too, though that's not always necessarily easy, but maybe there's some benefits there too. So there's sort of this obligatory sense and sort of this I've won the lotto sense to forgiveness, but there are layers of forgiveness that goes much deeper than just addressing the matter of our relationship with God right. and even the relationship that we have in forgiveness on the horizontal plane with one another. Right. I think one of the um, misconceptions that people have about forgiveness in particular is how when we practice forgiveness, whether it's confessing our sins and receiving God's forgiveness or forgiving someone else or even asking someone to forgive us, that is the means by which our Heavenly Father actually heals our soul. And because the soul is an invisible part of it's really not a part of who we are, the soul is who we are. If we read back in Genesis, it says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. That's our body. That's our physical body. We're a part of this physical, material world. But then it says he breathed into Adam and the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. So I believe that we don't have a soul. We are a soul. It is what a human being is in the image of God. God created human beings in his image so that we could think like him, love like him, enjoy life the way he is life. Um, We are a soul. We don't have a soul. Our soul is what makes up uh, who we are as persons, able to have relationships with other persons. It is our ability to think like God, to choose like God, and to feel like God. Other animals can think, choose, and feel but not like God does. That's the special thing that God breathed into Adam. And because we can't see the soul, a lot of Christians just think that it's like water vapor, a cloud. It's uh, invisible. We can't dissect it. We can't weigh it. We assume it has no parts. Um, I've come to believe that uh, the human soul is actually more like a machine, a biological machine, just like our human body is. And that uh, when we sin, 
we damage our soul. So just as I can walk out the door in the rain, slip, fall, injure myself. Yes. I'm now wounded. Yes. The soul can likewise be wounded. Be wounded. And if be wounded, also is capable of being healed. Yes, yes. And God is a healer. And because the soul is more valuable than even our physical body, because our body is damaged by sin, God's just going to replace our body and give us a new one in the resurrection. But he doesn't replace our soul because that's who we are. If he replaced our soul, he'd actually be destroying who we are and replacing us with a new person. Now, let me pause you on that point, because sometimes in the church, we interchange the word soul and spirit. Right. And some people think it's one and the same, but you are saying that it is actually distinctive. Yes. I believe, again, a human being is a living soul, a person. That a person and soul would almost be interchangeable. And that would include our personality? Yes. Mm-hmm. Our psyche. It's who we are. It's, it's our, what makes us unique from every other human being. And it changes with the various influences around us. And, and if and when wounded... As much as a wound without being treated will fester, mm-hmm. it will get potentially infected, mm-hmm. it can cause great pain, right. dependent upon where that wound is, it may impact my ability to interact. Maybe if I have a wound on the leg, it's impacted my ability to walk. Right. That similar type of wound that happens to our soul can therefore impact our relationships. It would us. See, the soul, again, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So if your mind gets damaged, that part of your soul, then we're not able to think clearly. We're not able to discern truth quickly. Secondly, it's our will. It's our ability to make moral choices. But a damaged soul is going to make poor choices, sinful choices, more often than a healthier soul would be. So are you suggesting here then, Pastor Steve, that in this process of forgiveness that we oftentimes sort of look upon as a one and done? Oh, I've forgiven him and I've moved on. Right. Uh, or worse, I, became, I, I was forgiven when I became a Christian and there I'm done. And yet there is this wounded part of us that has never been restored because time does not heal that as a result then impacts the way we not only relate to others the way we think of others the way we think of ourselves the way we think the way we think of god the way we relate to god the way we think about ourselves people who are self-condemning are doing it because they have a wounded soul people who are using alcohol drugs sex all kinds of sometimes even healthy things in an unhealthy way, are, are choosing, making their choices because of their brokenness. I have a son-in-law who broke his neck when he was 19 years old when he dove off a bridge on a missions trip in Belize. He used to be a great soccer player. He can't even walk anymore. He's paralyzed from the chest down and from his elbows down. He knows how to walk. He knows how to play soccer. He has the right information. He can't do it because his body is damaged. I believe a person can be a born-again, justified by faith in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, gifted by God, going to heaven someday Christian, 
but our souls, all of our souls. It's not some people. It's everyone who has sinned and everyone who has been sinned against by others has a damaged soul. The question is not who is damaged, it's how badly damaged are we. And second question is, if we're not practicing forgiveness so that God can heal us, what are we doing instead with all of this brokenness? Well, and I would imagine that also takes us to a, a similar uh, parody between the notion of a physical wound. Mm -hmm. It gets infected. It's painful. It impacts how we're able to walk. And the pain drives us to do things that would attempt to get relief from that That's pain. Right. In the real world, that maybe means over-medicating or getting involved right. in prescription drugs or illicit drugs, whatever. And in the, the soul realm, mm -hmm. it involves the same similar kind of anesthetizing action, but in this case, it plays out with how we avoid people. Right. Avoid engagement or, right. or, or modify the levels of engagement, the That's way right. we view people, relate to people, we all, all because we're trying to hold back that pain. That's right. I believe because sin starts, you know, even before we're born, we talk about generational sins, that we're already being damaged, or let's just say we are damaged at the point of conception. And that little children, not knowing what forgiveness is or how to do it, can't practice forgiveness. Therefore, God is unable to heal them at that time. But children have to live with the pain, in particular, of the family members they live with. The sins that are committed against them cause damage, and the damage is felt as inner soul pain. And children have to respond to that pain, and they find a coping mechanism. They, they watch their parents' coping mechanisms. Maybe it's ignoring sin. Maybe it's withdrawing, as you say. Maybe it's um, anger. Anger. Maybe it's lashing out. Maybe it's um, biting themselves or scratching themselves. Putting up walls. Putting up walls. The stuff that we go to counselors for, those are all symptoms of a damaged soul. And I think a lot of times in the church, we are saying, well, if you just get saved and believe in Jesus, all that will go away. But you and I both know just because someone becomes a Christian, their soul isn't instantly healed. And there's another shortcoming that comes to mind, and that is from the, because there are aspects of the, the mental health community mm -hmm. that understand this insofar as bringing a person to the point of recognizing that the offense has taken place. Right. The problem is they fall short of a very key issue. Right. That it's not simply a matter of acknowledgement of the wound. Right. Toward me, by me. But then how do you find healing for right. that festering wound? And that is one answer that the psychological community cannot really offer. Uh, I agree. And even though forgiveness, especially with Christian counselors, and, and please don't get me wrong, there's, there's tremendous good by, done by both secular counselors and Christian counselors. I'm a biologist by education, so I honor the science there. But um, oftentimes, uh, as you say, someone's early childhood wounds are identified and discovered and oftentimes forgiveness is even suggested as a possible solution, but it, it's considered to be only part of the solution. 
and then the forgiveness that's applied isn't even biblical forgiveness. Well, there's a, I would say there's a supernatural dynamic here that only takes yes. place in the biblical realm. A salvation that only comes about by God through Jesus Christ. A forgiveness that is God's forgiveness, not the world's forgiveness. Not Matter of fact, even your example at the beginning as you described the traffic ticket and I'm giving you... Uh, the judge says, I'm going to let you off the hook. That's not forgiveness. That's what I would call a pardon. Mm -hmm. A pardon is when you release a guilty person from having to pay the penalty for their crime just because you have the ability to and you're being merciful. But, but there is no justice okay. in a pardon. Okay. But real forgiveness... Real forgiveness is when God says, I'm not going to punish you because I already punished someone else in your place for your sin. And as a result, it's almost as if the offense never took place. Not in terms of consequences. Sins have two sides. Sins are like a coin, and every coin has two sides. Every sin has a divine penalty. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. Now, that's not the only reason he died, but in terms of forgiveness, Jesus died, and it was a better way to say it is God punished Jesus for your sins and my sins. So God could look at us and say, Craig, I don't need to punish you. I've already punished someone else. Justice has been settled once for all 2,000 years ago at the cross of Jesus Christ. I forgive you. Don't be afraid of me. I'm not going to punish you. That's how we forgive other people. It's by believing Jesus died for them. We don't just pardon people by letting them off the hook or saying, well, I love you or I don't want to rock the boat or look the other way. I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. Forgiving someone at the cross means believing that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he wasn't just only paying the penalty for your sins. He was paying the penalty for their sins. And even if they're not Christians, even if they don't know it, if you know it, knowing that truth would set us free. Well, let's pause on that point. I'm going to ask you to stay for another segment, if you would. Pastor Steve Deal from Forgiveness Ministries is here with us today. You are going to be giving some keynote speeches, or, or I should say uh, Six or some, some of the yeah. workshops um, throughout the course of the next couple of days here at the Bass Convention. Again, complete details available on the web at BassConvention.org. Let's get a brief timeout, update you on traffic right now. Michael Bennett has got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back with Steve Deal from Forgiveness Ministries. We've been talking about this whole issue of, of what forgiveness is in its so many layers and, and the fact that in some ways we in the church that have experienced forgiveness at the deepest levels in relationship to Christ and the cross and yet ironically don't totally understand forgiveness which at a level in terms of grace, you'll never fully understand that. Somebody says to yes. me, oh, I get all this great. No, no. How a holy, righteous God yes. could forgive me? No, don't understand that at every nuance. That said, there are dynamics also when it comes to forgiveness, the way it's metered out to us and the way we meter it out to others that we really have never come into I think one of the, you know, I started this ministry when I was a pastor. Um, I started it almost 20 years ago now, uh, in part because I was reading all these Christian books on how to forgive, and they weren't in agreement with each other on how to forgive. And I assumed that the Bible had one way to forgive. 
Uh, I do believe God says, this is what forgiveness is. This is how I forgive. This is why I forgive. And then he says to us as children, now receive my forgiveness and now forgive each other the way I have forgiven you. Don't invent a new definition for forgiveness. Don't create new steps to forgive. Craig, I have 60 Christian books that I've collected over the years from 60 Christian authors on how to forgive. I've documented 32 different ways to forgive. Mm. There aren't 32 ways to forgive in the Bible, just one. So that tells me the church is confused. I mean, these are some of the most respected and my favorite preachers, Christian counselors, men, women, charismatic, non-charismatic. But how is the church coming up with 32 ways to forgive? Now, what's worse... Half of those 32 ways don't include God in the steps. God is in the book, but you could take the steps out of the book and teach it in a secular university funded by taxpayer money to atheists, and they wouldn't blink an eye because there's no God in the steps. Well, that's not only disturbing, but there's also something that you just said that piques my interest, that we should forgive because there's a single modality that is demonstrated in Scripture. We should follow that pattern. Right. And that is to follow the pattern of the way God forgives. Yep. And yet I, I look at that and say, well, wow, that, that also comprises a component of an innocent party, Jesus in this case, mm-hmm. having paid the price on my behalf. Right. So how does that work out on the horizontal? When you're forgiving someone else? Correct. That's why I said earlier, when we're forgiving someone else... It happens, I believe, when we are convinced that Jesus died for the person who sinned against us, for that particular sin, that he didn't just pay for our sins, he paid for the other person's sins. And I think American theology hides that truth from us. Um, uh, And our Christian music um, uh, betrays that. Well, we were just having this conversation on the program the other day about the notion that there is ever increasingly this drifting further and further away from the blood. Mm-hmm. It is almost as if we want Christianity without the cross, because after all, it's not very. Um, it's not pretty. It's not pretty, it feel and good. you know, it, it messes up the feng, feng shui of our sanctuary. And yet, the irony is that without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Yes, there is he- no gospel. That's Hebrews nine twenty two. The writer there says, "Without the shedding of blood, specifically the blood of Jesus." Forgiveness doesn't exist. So is part of the shortcoming then in our ability to express and engage and show forgiveness towards others uniquely demonstrative of a shortcoming in our own understanding? Yes. Forgiveness, understanding, practicing, and benefiting from forgiveness is entirely a truth issue where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from your brokenness. Now, how do you get free from brokenness and injury? It's through healing. So when we understand forgiveness and know that truth, knowing that Jesus died for me is how I receive forgiveness. Knowing that Jesus died for you is how I forgive you. But in the church, we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's true. Amen. Keep singing it. That, that song needs a few more verses. What can wash away my abusive father's sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my unfaithful spouse's sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away the pedophile's sins? Nothing but the blood 
of Jesus. We're not living in that reality. And and and, and by nature, there is a requirement of an extension of our understanding of grace, because at a level we can say, "Yeah, I can see how God can forgive me," because at the end of the day. I'm not all that bad. Yeah, and There's, I'm not as bad as that as other, other guy. guy. Exactly. So there, <laughs> there, there, there is your self-righteousness uh, as valuable as filthy rags. Yeah. And yet to be able to go far enough and see someone who has offended me and say they too are worthy of being forgiven. They too can participate in the right. fullness of forgiveness under the cross because when we're forgiving people at the Christ at the cross I mean we're actually honoring God's sacrifice and when we don't forgive people we're actually saying to God I don't think the blood of Jesus is enough to pay for that one so this really takes us back full circle to the need for a deeper understanding of the centrality of the cross amen to our relationship with God mm -hmm. and the centrality of the cross to our relationship with others. Amen. And let's add to that the centrality of the cross to the healing of the human soul because when we confess sins, believing Jesus died for us, God heals our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality. The compulsive behaviors start to fall away. Our self-condemnation starts to fall away. The guilt, the anger, the hurt. Injuries only hurt as long as they're unhealed. When an injury is healed, it stops hurting. When we receive forgiveness, much of that pain just disappears. The, the self-condemnation goes away. And you can see where someone who struggles with this would reason in their own mind, well, I, I sat and met with a psychologist and said that if I really want to get over this, I need to forgive my mother. And okay, I'll do it. Right. But in our thoughts, we privately harbor the notion that, but in reality, that person who has offended me does really deserve God's wrath. That's right. And that's what I call the heart's cry for justice, that every human being made in the image of God, when we are sinned against, something inside of us rises up. It's this heart's cry for justice that says, that's wrong. Somebody has to pay. And so we either do active anger and commit revenge or passive anger, and that's what we do usually in the church, and we just wish for the person to suffer. But justice happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we need to learn to live. And here's this case where we could say, okay, maybe at a level we are correct that when an offense has occurred, someone does have to pay. That is correct. And then to look at that other person and say, and someone has paid. Amen. His Greg. name is Jesus. That's right. This can suddenly, all of a sudden, just open up not only the ability to be very free, but to become very healed. Yes. And it's the discovery that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, For God's love for people controls us, having concluded this, that one man, Jesus Christ, died for all. Therefore, it is as if all have died. Mm. We're going to pause on that point because they're going to yell at me. <laughs> uh, 
this is great stuff. We've got to get you back on the show. Amen. You need to come in studio and take some listener questions. So we can promise to, me when love to do the that. dust from bass settles down, we'll get you on the program. Pastor Steve Deal from Forgiveness Ministries, you're teaching a number of workshops here over the course of the next two days. So check it out on the web at bassconvention.org. Your website? ForgivenessMinistries.com. ForgivenessMinistries.com. Pastor Steve Deal. Steve, always good to see you. All right, let's uh, quickly scoot over to the KFAX Traffic Center, see what's going on. Final time tonight on your Thursday commute. Michael Bennett, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. We head into the home stretch here on the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Coming to you from day number one of the annual Bass Convention here at Redwood Chapel in Castro Valley. And, of course, we'll be broadcasting live again tomorrow night as well. The conference going on all day tomorrow and in through Saturday. Details available on the web at BassConvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. The whole purpose of this, as we mentioned, is to inspire, to encourage, to engage, to equip. And a big part of equipping, of course, is a solid theological education. And one of the schools that's been offering that for quite a number of years is just north of us in one of my favorite parts of the country up in the Pacific Northwest, just shy of... Portland, Oregon, in the capital, in fact, of, uh, of Oregon, Salem. It's Corbin University, and joining me now is Dr. Leroy Gertzen. And uh, Leroy, good to see you. Appreciate you coming by and visiting a little bit. It's good to be here. Thank Tell you very much. Tell us a bit much. about the work at uh, the university there and what they offer. Well, Corbin University um, is a broad-spectrum school that is uh, conservatively evangelical, uh, we offer liberal arts programs, uh, creative programs, uh, biblical studies, and ministry. Um, as you mentioned, we've been around for a long time, and one of the reasons why we're here is that the school spent about 25 years in the Bay Area, uh, coming here in 1946, moving in 1968 or so to Salem, Oregon. So we have a lot of roots here in the area. Um, and um, unfortunately left them many years ago. But it's good to be back in the area. Um, the, f- the focus of the university is mostly uh, designed to provide every student um, a Bible minor, and that's um, relatively unusual in today's educational market, even within Christian universities. So Corbin University, for every student, no matter what their major is or what their vocational interest they will have 24 credits of Bible with the intention of integrating that into a, a solid biblical worldview. Hey, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because you would think of, of just about every vocation within ministry would say, well, at the end of the day, the manual, the guidebook, yes. the resource for ministry, for living is God's Word. Yes. And yet to see that sometimes positions within the church and you walk out with a degree and you've had one or two courses in Bible almost as if it's an afterthought as opposed to a foundation. And yet here we are saying, well, we understand that the the Bible, of course, God's word is the foundation of everything that we do in life as believers. And so it sounds like part of the heartbeat of Corbin then is to, to underscore that criticalness, that importance of having that biblical foundation, no matter what one's individual discipline within ministry may be. Yeah, actually, that's what drove um, what was Western Baptist Bible College when it was here in the area to become Corbin University, because it was an an interest 
in inculcating all of the professionals, all vocations, with a biblical worldview. Uh, one of the unique factors in doing that is that all of the professors that teach there have to be able to demonstrate tangibly that biblical integration is central to their educational pedagogy. And so that's a part of the whole portfolio process. And it's fascinating because in your dialogue with folks today, you talk about what's going on in the world. You talk about some of the challenges that the church is facing. Yes. You talk about moral decay and, and uh, spiritual decline. And oftentimes people say, well, you know, at the core, it's biblical illiteracy. People just don't understand God's word. They don't know how to apply it. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and here we find Corbin saying, we get that. We've understood that importance all along. Yeah, and we, um, we, we regularly survey our incoming freshman classes, and we've noticed over a significant period of time just that decline in biblical illiteracy that you're talking about, as well as really moral relativism and coming from even from families that are integrated into the church. So we've decided to try to take it even more upon ourselves to do more to inculcate that biblical worldview uh, with our students. And, and that, would, that would, go ahead. You would expect somebody coming out of a university with an MDiv that would have a strong biblical foundation. Sometimes we have pastors in the pulpit today that are graduating that don't have a firm biblical foundation. No, I would agree. I, I would agree. And then part of it is because, um, you know, not to, not to speak poorly of any schools, but uh, many of the MDiv programs aren't what they used to be. And uh, anyway, many of them were predicated uh, years ago upon individuals coming to the program who already had a fairly firm foundation in biblical studies, uh, as well as the moral background in their families that was uh, well integrated into who they were as people, as persons, holistic persons. That's not as common anymore in what you see in your typical student. And yet, of course, the irony is we live in a place in a day in an age where whether the vocation is working as a Christian in the secular arena or working in a full-time pastoral or ministry-related vocation, the firm biblical foundation is more important today than it perhaps has ever been, given the challenges that we see both societal and even institutional within the church. Yeah, we're somewhat humored by the conversation within higher ed uh, about the place and role of, of Scripture and the Bible and biblical teaching, biblical studies, because we, would, we see it exactly the same way. Uh, in a day and age when, like you mentioned, the need is greater, um, most schools seem to be cutting back, trying to provide more room for more electives, more options, giving students more of what it is that they're looking for. And ironically, those that maybe say, oh, we need to do more of this, fail to recognize, yeah. well, if that had been part of the foundational coursework from the beginning, Who's to say that we might not be in the decline that we're at today, or that at the very least we would have seen a slowing of the decline? So I, I think it ought to encourage anyone who's looking for a firm foundation in Scripture 
that runs along, not not just to sort of say, a, oh, we'll toss this in for a couple of units, but foundational to the overall education that Corbin is offering that. And, of course, in a beautiful setting, you're one of the most gorgeous parts of the Pacific West Coast. It's um, beautiful. Just outside yes. of the Portland, Oregon. And it's also convenient for folks that are born and bred here in the Bay Area as opposed to having to hop on an airplane and go three-quarters of the way exactly. across the country, 90 minutes, and you're there. Yep. We have a nice northwest flare on campus. It's obvious. We're in the trees. Uh, we're built right into a hillside, uh, large, old growth trees. It's it's gorgeous. Being campus. in the evergreens is an easy place to commune <laughs> with God. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Certainly. Uh, we're visiting today with Dr. Leroy Gertson. He is with Corbin University, located out of Salem, Oregon. Uh, we obviously, in, in the moment that remains, don't have time to get into every aspect of the coursework. And we can send folks to your website. They want to get yes. more information. Give us your web. www.corbin.edu. Simple. C-O-R-B-A-N. And devoted in, to God, in a term, gift devoted to God. In terms of the size of the campus, how many students? Uh, there's probably about 700 on campus. Uh, we have 1,200 students that we serve here, 1,200 in Indonesia. We have a program in Indonesia that simply, that strictly focuses on education. That's a whole story in itself that's amazing. Operated really by a billionaire who has a vision of reaching... Uh, a, a country that's 90% Islam so the, through education, folks Christian the, education. That uh, that is the the most populated Islamic exactly. country in the world, and yet it's so rarely yes. on the radar screen. So encouraging to see that passion, and I think with a campus and a, and a student body of that size, it also means there's an awful lot of opportunity for individual attention too. Well, well what I was going to say about as it relates to our biblical curriculum is that that's really only half the formula. The other half of the formula are the faculty and the devotion they have to mentoring, discipling students. We have an amazing student life program there that focuses uh, strictly on the, the spiritual Christian development of our young people, and the faculty participate with that. They're amazing. So if you have a student that will be graduating here uh, come May or June that is um, considering different opportunities for a Christ-based education, Corbin University is one that you might want to add to that list. And, hey, it's a great day trip. Head up there. In fact, you can even drive it in a day, about 12 hours, 11 hours. You can be there on campus from the Bay Area, tour the campus, get a chance to meet some of the faculty, visit the students, and see if Corbin is a good fit for you. Again, complete details available on the web at corban.edu. That's C-O-R-B-A-N dot E-D-U. Strong roots here in the Bay Area that uh, reach all the way up to uh, Salem, Oregon now. Exactly. We appreciate uh, Dr. Gertzen, you dropping by and visiting tonight. Thank you very much. And again, information available on the web at corban.edu. My goodness, 7 o'clock exactly. Time flies when you're having fun. So uh, they're going to pull the curtain here quickly on me and probably bring out a uh, shepherd's crook and (laughs) pull me out of the way. So with that, we're going to turn things in a moment over to uh, Wanda. That would be Wanda C. She's going to take over here at 7 o'clock. We're going to thank Greg Edwards, our on-site engineer, our engineer back at the studios, Jarrell Martin, our producer, Wanda Sanchez, makeup artist, cast of thousands. There's just too many to mention here. All right. Say hello to everybody, Wanda. Hello. All right. As she says hello, I say goodbye. That does it. Till next time, remember, don't just keep the faith. Get on out there and share it. So long.
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.